0: Hello and you're very welcome to The Contact Book, the show where we look back at the life and times of our guests with a little bit of help from those who know them best. As we navigate the highs and some of the lows of their lives, we will have access to their contact book and be calling up those who lived through the experiences with them. Awkward and endearing in equal measure, the truth behind the tales will be revealed, embellished and enjoyed by all. You're very, very welcome to The Contact Book. And I'm very, very excited about our guest today because he is one of the nicest people I've ever met in the world of sport. He's also one of the most accomplished players I know in the, in the world game. He played for South Africa 124 times, scoring 67 tries. He won a World Cup back in 2007. He won European Cups with Toulon. He changed the way wingers played the game at club level, at international level. He is the greatest interceptor I know that I've ever seen play the game. And as I said, also one of the nicest guys you'll ever come across. So we'd give a warm welcome to the contact book, to Brian Habana. Brian, how are you?
1: Craig Doyle, absolutely brilliant, sir. I'm extremely worried, too, to be brutally honest. I have been, you know, not that I've got, I'm hopefully too many skeletons in my closet, but I'm not quite sure how deep you've dived into that contact book. So it's going to be, yeah, looking forward to it. How are you? How are things over in the Northern Hemisphere?
0: Not so bad, yeah. It's nice and sunny, and uh, we're all good. Kind of trying to get a rugby season finished. It's all a bit mad. And uh, missing you, because we usually see you over here quite a lot, and you've become a, a firm favourite on, on on television in, in England as well. And uh, you you. Been stuck at home. Has lockdown been for you?
1: There has been a completely different 2020 compared to 2019, where I think I had 76 international flights, got to spend six weeks in Japan, experiencing that brilliant Rugby World Cup, missing, you know, a lot of Champions Cup, Heineken Cup action. It's been weird. It has been interesting launching a fintech company at the start of this year, not knowing that we were going to have this black swan event of COVID. Um, yeah, and I've never spent you know such a extraordinary amount of time at home. But it has been good, I think, getting you know getting to see the boys a little bit. Uh, my wife did tell me that I have thrown out their routine because apparently when I'm not here, their routine is much better. So I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's been different, not quite winning championships or you know aiming towards uh, scoring tries yeah i've been horrible from a yeah from a training perspective as well which has made things a little bit different
0: <laughs> yeah no racing cheeses these days maybe just racing a, a kind of food cart is that what you're at <laughs> uh, no
1: more like racing tortoises um or like four-year-olds just to make myself feel good at the moment <laughs>
0: it's been really nice because i've known you a long time but i've never kind of deep dive into your life and, and where it all began because we just we have kind of a nice chat on the side of pitches and that like but yeah. well, it was really interesting to see where your interest in rugby came from because you were you're all into football that was your thing wasn't it and re- and wrestling of all things and cricket <laughs>
1: I know I'm I I'm already potentially know who your first contact is uh, when you bring up the wrestling chat <laughs> but um, for those that don't know me you know named after Brian Robson and Gary Bailey and that sort of meant that soccer was you know the highest priority as a youngster growing up and I you know, just wanted to be the next South African export not into sales sharks but rather into Manchester United and um yeah, you know, rugby, a bit of cricket, myself and my brother were, I think I was the ultimate warrior and he was maybe Hulk Hogan. I can't remember exactly how we separated that, but it was brilliant, you know, growing up in, you know, in an environment in South Africa where I wasn't like many underprivileged. So, you know, got given the best opportunities, you know, went to some great schools. Life was good. And yeah, that moment in 95 changed everything. So
0: 1995, the Rugby World Cup is in South Africa and you go on a bit of a road trip with your dad, a 2,800-kilometre round trip to go and see South Africa play Australia. But it was hugely significant for you. Tell us why.
1: For those of you that don't, or those of the listeners that don't understand the history of South Africa, apartheid and, and everything that happened, you know, for me, growing up, not knowing really what rugby was about, not because of the color of my skin, just because I didn't really have an interest in it. And all of a sudden, 1994, we have our first democratic elections. You know, our sporting fraternity comes out of an isolation period where, you know, all our international teams weren't allowed to compete on the international stage and got to witness being taken out of school for the first time ever you know my dad was a a pretty authoritarian type of figure so missing school was not something in our vocabulary you know whether you were sick potentially had a broken leg or two you you made sure that you you went to school so I think getting taken out of school for the first time ever as an 11 year 12 year old youngster and going on this road trip to get to experience something that I had had at that point no real indication but getting to see this group of men beat the then world champions australia at newlands you know seeing grown men cry with this newly painted democratic flag on you know on their faces was a pretty surreal experience and you know, so started slowly but surely igniting a fire that allowed a 12 year old kid at that stage to want to start doing the same, you know, want to start making an impact and pretty significant moment because it really started me seeing things a little bit differently.
0: And in terms of how you saw white South Africa, black South Africa kind of merged together, there was a moment your dad mm. had in the stands, which seemed to have quite an impact on you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. This contact book is is already opening up pretty effectively. I see. Yeah, there, I, there, there were quite a few, but that moment where like there was a guy in front of my dad, a white guy, you know, with a new South African flag painted on his face, sort of I, turned around and just gave my dad this hug and to which the South African flag, you know, sat on his um, you know, very proud uh, springbok supporters jacket that he'd bought you know my dad sort of getting frustrated this guy had now messed up this really cool top and there was just a moment of pure elation and for me i was like this white guy now doing something that Two, three years prior probably wouldn't have happened but just seeing how people come together you know forgetting where their backgrounds are from you know what the color of their skin is and just embracing this new unity and this unified approach that you know through the likes of the Springboks and the great nelson mandela you know as south africans we were really starting to embrace this new culture this new way of hopefully seeing a, a more prosperous future for all south africans
0: It's interesting, actually, because you you went to a private school. You're very much a middle-class kid brought up in the leafy suburbs of Joburg. But your dad had an interesting line Bernie, when he said he wanted you and your brothers to grow up without the burden of color. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's an extremely interesting statement. And I think looking back now, myself and my siblings, my older brother and my younger sister probably didn't realize how fortunate we were probably didn't realize the struggles my mom and dad had to go through in the in the then apartheid south africa you know i was born in 1983 so you know for for seven years you don't the first seven years of eight nine ten years of your life you don't really fully understand or comprehend what's going on around you and you know seeing the struggles at a later stage and looking back what my dad had to go through in terms of loving the sport of rugby but because of the color of his skin, potentially not being able to do the things that he would love to do, or like go watch the Springboks play, or that when he did go watch the Springboks play, that he got ostracized by his, you know, his own people. It was really interesting. And, you know, for us growing up, I didn't have the struggles of worrying where my next, you know, meal was coming from, like a Sia Khaleesi. You know, I didn't have a, the struggle of thinking that I had to walk ten kilometers to school and ten kilometers back from school like Makazoli Mapimpi. And incredibly grateful, you know, as as kids that we got given that. Foundation. Now, through the course of my life, you know there were small moments on a rugby field where you'd get called a name, and and I'd look at this potential white player, and I'm like, well, I've got a better upbringing than you, I. Speak- Speak better English and better Afrikaans, and it was almost like water off for ducks back because I was like, okay, well, whatever, you know, just just going on with my merry merry job. So I'd hope that I sort of appeal to to many South Africans, and and you get embraced. And you know, my wife sometimes says to me, you know, we're walking in supermarkets, and old white Afrikaans, you know, grandmothers and grandfathers would just like embrace me, and she sometimes literally says to say to me, you do understand that 35 years ago. That would not have happened, and I'm like, huh, what? And it's you know I become oblivious to the fact, but you know South Africa as a country we have a very unique history, you know much different to any other sporting nation in the world. That was
0: a huge trip in '95. Then wow, that started this for you. Was it just you? Did your brother or sister go on the trip with your dad?
1: Yes, no, it was it was just me. I'm not quite sure. Um, That's not really fair, is it? Yeah, a lot of people call it middle child syndrome. The sort of saying or the constant joke in our family goes that my brother got all the looks, my sister got all the brains, and then I got everything else.
0: Well, I'm sure your brother's very, very upset. Things like that don't leave. I tell you what, I think this is the first time we dive into the contact book, and I think we should call your brother Brad. Now, Brad is in um, is in Qatar, so let's give him a call now anyway, and hopefully yeah. he's he's available, because it's time that you settle this this whole thing—I bet you that sat with him for years. In fact, he never made it over to a, over to that World Cup. So, Brad, say hello to your little brother. Thanks little for saying brother. little,
2: I'm although
1: y- he is bigger than me. Big. Much bigger around the Metro <laughs> at the moment than Brad. And um, Brad's lost about like 40 kilos. He's actually putting me to shame in terms of the training at the moment, Mister Dog.
0: Well, I can't believe, Brad, that you weren't invited along to the match in 1995. It's time to get it off your chest.
2: Someone had to look after my mom and my sister, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: uh, he says... That's very true.
0: Brian says you're better looking than him, though, Brad.
1: Whoa, whoa, well, whoa, whoa. No, no. I said the running joke in the family is that he's better looking.
2: It's not just in the family. It's, it's globally. People know that for a fact. <laughs>
1: Okay. I'll, Brad, I'll, give, uh, I'll give him that one
0: so when you were kids and you were doing WWF so Brian you were the Hulk who were you Brad
2: I can't remember I just thought Brad was my punching bag for most of it so
1: <laughs> you know obviously my brother five years older than me you know had the physicality on me for a very long time I did have a, the speed on him for, for the better part of, of our teens um, and I actually had the better calves than him apparently because a lot of his <laughs> girlfriends used to tell me that my calves were much better than his <laughs>
2: I'm not going to dispute that at all so uh, Brian growing up as a youngster like most of the time was always up to tricks not just WWE but probably about 3 or 4 years old I just remember him for some odd reason always having to run outside taking his clothes off and play outside in the mud. I don't know if that was go, a big issue with the with the nature side of his life, but very odd that Brian did that for most of <sighs> his life when we that. lived out in Johannesburg.
1: <laughs> oh, I love I this show so much. That is very true. I'm gonna no come back.
0: Are you still doing it though? That's the big question. <laughs>
1: Well, it depends who else you've uh, you've now phoned in my contact book, uh, Mr. Doyle, that I'm not really worried about that specific item. uh, Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I've been married for 11 years now, so I'm hoping. Yeah, (laughs) no, I'm thinking no. I'm thinking no. (laughs)
0: What kind of kid
1: was he, Brad?
2: He was an all-rounder, believe it or not. He wasn't the rugby player that that people know him to be today. He excelled immensely at football, and he was a very good cricketer, believe it or not, in his younger days in the primary school as well. I I think Brian, as an all-round athlete, could have gone into any sphere of sports. Track and field, he was quick as well. So yeah, I think being the skinny, energetic little boy that he was, he definitely spruced up to be probably a better rugby player than what he would have been a footballer or cricketer today.
0: What's it like to watch your brother excel in what he does and and then win the World Cup in 07 and then the big move to Toulon and just all the successes? I mean, you must be incredibly proud of him.
2: It's still surreal to be able to know that he's been able to achieve so many milestones in his life, not just World Cups, but Super Rugby tournaments, the leagues in Toulon, the Curry Cups that he's won. And I suppose the manner in which he's made some of those victories, you know, uh, 2007, he scored in the 82nd or 83rd minute to win the first Super Rugby trophy for the Blue Bulls. That's something people still talk about today. Then there was 2007, he was the highest try scorer in that World Cup. And yeah, there's just many, many milestones that, that people can, can look back and go, wow, you know, what a player he was.
1: A really special moment, if I look back at growing up and what I was able to achieve, I think it was for my first Test match and it was really weird how it worked out, you know, I, i managed to fly my brother and my sister over to the uk um, not knowing that i'd make my test debut against england in 2004 and you know as luck would have it you know my whole family was was actually in the stadium when i got to make my test debut for the springboks and, and get to witness that moment and i think the the reason i did stuff like that was because without them without the foundations that they laid without the support they gave me you know i definitely wouldn't not only being the rugby player I am today, but the, the person I, I've become. And, you know, you, you know, all families, you know, have the ups and downs. But I think the one thing that, you know, I felt that no matter where I was in the world, I had always got the support from those closest to me. You know, those bonds are still firm, which I think we're incredibly grateful for.
0: And Brad, he's saying all that even after you told the world that he likes to take his clothes off and roll in muddy puppets, which is the greatest <laughs>
2: yeah. bit of information we get. Fair enough. Thanks so much. All the best over there. <laughs> Cheers, Brad. All the best. Take care. Bye. Cheers, Bye. Brad.
0: Bye. So you're in school and you've found a love for rugby thanks to your your trip to see the, uh, the South Africa play in the World Cup. And then you go to university. And this is the tricky part of most sports people's careers isn't it? Because that age, they go to university and they discover, you know, the other, the other uh, <laughs> fun in life, you know, booze and dating and all those kind of things so how, how did you cope with that with that lifestyle
1: i loved every minute of it and i think it formed the you know the proper foundations of not only my rugby journey went but you know potentially some of the long you know long-term friends we've made and the relationships that we formed you know where i met my now wife then girlfriend definitely not the most academically inclined student and yeah it was brilliant though i loved every minute of university
0: Sounds like, Brian, you're holding back some of the stories from university. We really need to know what you did there. So let's delve into that contact book. And there's a big name staring out of your phone here. And it's Dion Nebrega. He was your good pal in university, was he? I think we need to give Dion a ring. Let's give Dion a ring and see what he has to say about your university days.
1: Oh, yeah, they, they were good days as, as we get D, D, Dion on the call now hope he spills the beans. um, Hi, good um, afternoon.
0: Hello, Dion. This is um, Craig Doyle here. I'm with your old pal, Brian Abana, and we're just talking through some of his life and and times. And we need the university stories. We need the dirt. And you're the man.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I met Brian when he was only 17 years old. It was at our very first day when we actually met at the residence or the hostel. And that's when I realized that, you know, this guy and myself, we would be very good mates. We had very common interests in in music and sports. Uh, And the girls as well. Whoa! Which girls girls are we talking about now? (laughs) I said we had similar (laughs) tastes. Both of us married (laughs) blondes.
1: And that that sort of probably brings
3: me to the first story. So uh, in our second year, there was a girl (laughs) that caught Brian's eye at uh, the girls' residence across the road from us. (laughs) It just so happened to be that her roommate quite fancied me. I wouldn't say the feeling wasn't <laughs> mutual, but my focus was more on the studies and um, I just didn't quite have the time to, to engage in any further extramurals. So, so, oh,
1: my yeah. word. Are you, are you honestly going to say that?
3: <laughs> no, so like I said, I don't want to throw anybody uh, under the bus. I just say that, you know, I was always a good mate to Brian, and I was the wingman that he needed at the time when he really did need it the most. Brian sort of brought it upon himself to request that I make sure that we have frequent visits across the road at the girls' rest, just so that... Brian can actually meet with his current <laughs> wife and only wife, I must add. And that's sort of where the spark began. So I was you know, dragged along to coffees and uh, we even had a weekend away to a place called Sun City um, with these ladies who obviously went on to become far greater things. And that's where Brian did obviously meet the love of his life. And so I'm, I'm very proud to say that I did have a hand in it. Brian yeah, made he, the, he, he meet, did. the um, love of his life. Oh, well, that's a nice yeah, story. So it's
1: a nice romantic Dion, story. Um, I wouldn't say taking one for the team, but he, he did uh, put himself out there when he actually didn't want to. Definitely made uh, yeah, made me now lucky enough to, to get married to, yeah, to the girl of my dreams.
3: Just to add, Brian is actually such a solid person. I think everybody knows this the world over. So, I mean, asking me for any dirt or any you know funny stories about him at university, he was actually so dedicated to rugby. He woke up every single morning at 6, went to gym, did all the extra stuff to get him to where he did eventually end up, which was you know the most successful rugby player in South Africa, in, in my opinion. Um, and it's been a pleasure to, to have known him for this long and to also now be in business with him. He motivates me every single day. It's uh, an absolute honor to be involved with him and and a pleasure to be able to tell some of these stories.
0: Oh, Dion, thank you so much. Lovely talking to you, and we'll catch up again soon. You can give me the real dirt. Thanks, Dion. Take I'll care. I'll be yourself. in the office tomorrow.
3: Thanks, Dion. thanks, Greg. <laughs> Cheers, Brian.
0: There are so many possible distractions when you're in university, but you kept on track, and and I, I think a lot of it's got to do with a gentleman by the name of Laffy. Coach Loffy, Tell me about Coach yeah. Loffy and, and the role he had in your life.
1: Yes, Coach Loffy was extremely impactful. Um, you know, as as a rugby player, I get asked a lot like who's your favorite coach or who is the best coach? And it's always a very subjective thing in terms of, you know, what do you measure success by? But I think someone that played an incredibly important role from a mentorship perspective for me was definitely Coach Loffy. Um he sort of spotted me as a young schoolboy who wasn't even playing in the top ranks provincially, you know, got me involved as a junior into the lion structures, got me playing for the Lions the 19th side while I was still at school and then yeah it was sort of 2000 and Two, as I was sort of progressing through the junior ranks, that he sort of sat me down and said, Listen, you know, he thinks I need to move from scrum off because probably wasn't the biggest guy around, but I'd sort of had a very late growth spurt. And he said, I think, judging by what I've seen, that you must maybe go from scrum off to center. And I was like, No, Kashloffy, I mean, are you telling me that I'm that bad at scrum off? And he's like, No, 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 I just believe you, you know, you've got a much better future at center. And sort of got me through this whole mentorship program, took me under his tutelage. And just had this ability with with young players and sort of got me saying, Okay, well, let's do this. You know, it took me step for step on a plan on how to get there and actually made me write an essay on center play. And while he said, Okay, we're gonna do this, you're gonna write an essay but I want you to sort of model on a player that you can think of globally at the moment that you'd like to sort of base your game on. And I was like, well, there's quite a few. Um, In South Africa, you had the likes of a Yori Miller, Jock Freak, Wani Bobo. Globally, there's the likes of a a Will Greenwood, a Mike Tindall, Timmy Horan. But I actually chose a very young, sprightly Brian O'Driscoll in 2004, who was like 22 or 23 years old. So I ended up writing a a five-page essay on Trico, which probably is extremely poorly written now if I had to go look back at it. And it is Probably I in wonder. one of Luffy's you know, storage compartments somewhere in his house. But um, well, do, yeah, it was, you know was an extremely Brian, important role.
0: I'm going to stop you there because Coach Luffy is still in your contact book, obviously. So I think we need him <laughs> to tell us what you wrote about Brian O'Driscoll. So uh, let's give Coach let's give Coach Luffy a wee call, shall we? Isn't this fun, Brian? The way we're just, you know, delving into your past. So that's yeah.
1: uh, Hope he answers. Yeah, it is extremely interesting. I really hope he answers. <laughs>
0: Hello, is that is that Coach Laffey? That's right. Yes. That's, Hello, that's it's, Craig Doyle, it's Craig Doyle here in the contact book. We have your old pal, your old student, Brian Habana, on the phone, and, and he was just singing your praises. You, um, you took him out. You took him out of the I, trouble of university life where he was going off the rails.
4: Uh, I doubt. I doubt <laughs> if he would say that. <laughs> it's great to speak to you guys. I want to tell you that I'm on the seventh hole at Devonvale Golf Course, and my game is stopping now for this interview. Okay. Well,
3: like we won't keep you too no, long. Yeah, you
1: see, you just... know, he's he's living he's living in the bubble. He's li- he's living in the bubble.
4: He's living the high life. What did you I... uh, What did you see in Brian? Uh, just something special, you know. Sometimes you just get these athletes that as they develop, you just pick up something special. And, and Brian has something special besides his his willingness to take on big boys when he was still younger. The speed he had uh, was enormous, and his ability to play into space as a young boy, it was just amazing to see him play and grow as an athlete. Tell me about the essay he wrote about Brian O'Driscoll. What, what did he say?
0: Can you remember it?
4: <laughs> we, we planned his career in a coffee shop in Northcliffe, and we sat down and... After we talked about the goals, you know, going to university and getting a degree and about the rugby future ahead, the one thing, a big move that I asked him to consider was to move from Scrum Off to outside centre, as I thought he was too tall for a Scrum Off and would be a brilliant outside centre. And he immediately just believed in in what I said. And and then I said, okay, great. Now it's time for a project. You have to research a top world-class centre that you think that you can idolise and learn from. And... Without a doubt, he said the guy that he's going to do the S.A.M. was Brian Driscoll. And a week after that, I received this document. I think it was about five pages with pictures. And he started off with Brian's history as a, as a young boy was born of his family, his schooling career, his rugby career. And then he got to his strengths. And the one thing that I remember that stood out for me was before he identified Brian's ability as a center, he identified Brian's leadership futures. And also mentioned that he was leader wherever he was. He was in a leadership position and and that the players respected him. And then we went to his game. And what I can remember is, was wherever Brian had an influence, there was was probably victory. Victory was the word that came out. And he also talked about his ability to s- distribute the ball. Not always be the fancy one, but always playing the people around him into better positions. And everything that I just mentioned, Brian took and he took it to heart. And the way his career developed, you could have seen that these were so- solid foundations that he had in place. Well, it's kind of, I mean, we know Brian
0: quite well. And, and I just think, I think, Brian, we need to, we need to talk to Brian O'Driscoll about this the fact that you actually wrote an essay no. about him it's just let me just yeah. let me get him on no
1: the-
0: we, no, we, no 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 we, do, we really do i just i'm giving him a call here let's oh, see and uh no. he, he mightn't answer a busy man uh, hey drick dricko how are you it's craig here and i got craig. i got hello. i got um i got brian haban on one line i got coach loffey on the other and we now know the details <laughs> of the famous essay <laughs> hello
5: coach loffey and brian haban how are you
0: they're all saying hello to it's you. So, so, so basically, the word is Brian that um, that, that Brian Habana did an essay all about where you're from, uh, your family, where you live. He kind of stalked <laughs> you, by the sounds of it. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'd love to know how much of that information he's actually retained in his head. <laughs> 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 or was it like, was it like swatting for an exam? It only holds for twenty four hours. <laughs>
0: Um why we have you Brian just 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 give us a word because I know I know you're probably also playing golf like coach Laffy here uh, but um give us a word on Brian and, and Brian as a player and we we stood side by side when we saw Toulon beat Leinster a few years ago in the Heineken Cup and it was just a classic Brian Habana intercept try and an Ian Madigan pass and, and I remember you saying that's just his beauty he's he is he is the best in the world at that kind of play I mean he kind of wrote, rewrote wing play didn't he
5: No he totally did he was the I think it would be unfair to say the ultimate poacher. I just think you know it's rare enough that you're able to marry you know finishing prowess with someone that has an ability to read the game as well. And when you partner the two of them together, you get a, a you know a rare combination, and that's what Brian Habana had. And I think you know whatever forever the the you know, the amount of intercepts that he actually got, it was you know you probably didn't um, earmark him for how many times he decided not. To go for it because it wasn't on and that's actually to the testament to the individual everyone remembers the ones you get but you can and trust me i know my from personal experience you can be made a real fool of if you go for one and you don't get it but i can't remember any instance where
0: he um, found himself in that situation and that comes down to sporting and rugby intelligence Enough of the niceties. Tell Brian how you feel about the jersey swap.
5: I don't know if if he's actually told you his version of the story. Basically, first time he plays for South Africa at 13, I'm absolutely cacking it because I'm playing against the fastest player in the world. Um, So Even though I've got a few years' experience on him, I'm thinking I'm going to have my work cut out. Anyway, they they were wearing some centenary jersey, I, I believe, and we were wearing the white jersey, which is unusual for us. We don't tend to get to wear the white Jersey an awful lot but anyway we we managed to win the game in Lansdowne Road um, and I said you know he's a young guy you know Um, starting out sort of in the infancy of his career I'll do the right thing and I'll go into the dressing room and swap my jersey so I kind of say goodbye to the lads and and try and set the tone going listen we should be swapping jerseys Um, so I go in and I go listen um, any chance of swapping the jersey you know sort of a thing we do at rugby tradition and I was told in no uncertain terms well to be honest with you that this is kind of a special jersey so I I can't swap it so then I had to walk back into my dressing room with my tail between my legs. And the lads were like, how come, how come you still got you know, the Irish jersey on? Uh, and there was a bit of confusion. Um, and I was trying to make up an excuse as to why I had been absolutely smoked by one Mr. Havana. So he tried to tell me that he, tried, he attempted to get the jersey to me at a later stage. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not falling for it. <laughs>
0: Trickle on that I'm going to let you go and go back to your golf <laughs> be a lads. Come, on, you give that- come on don't go give him the post you. see you bye <laughs> there you go <laughs> dangerous old show this isn't it Brian uh, uh, Co- coach yeah. Luffy thank you so much for your time yeah. today really oh, good to get back to your bad golf bad. Let's move on to South Africa uh, and, you, and you playing for South Africa. And uh, what an incredible thing for any player to do to represent their country and to win a World Cup in 2007. I mean, my word, uh, the greatest moment of your career, surely, Brian.
1: A special moment. I wouldn't call it my greatest. I think the greatest moment for me, and, and I get asked the question quite a bit, Craig, you know, looking back in my career, I think the first opportunity I got to you know, to wear the springbok colors for, for the first time in, in 2004, you know, against the then world champions England at the home of rugby, Twickenham, you know, scored a try with my first touch in international rugby. And it was that moment that sort of made me understand that I want to hold on to this for as long as possible. You know, I never want to let that feeling go on and never let that privilege and, you know, and an opportunity that lies ahead of me. And you know, I didn't just want to be a flash in the pan. You know, I wanted to play 20, 50, you know, potentially become the first player of color to play 100 test matches for my country. So 2007 was brilliant. You know, we got to share some, some really great times as a team leading up to that. Some pretty average times as well, but yeah, you know, that first test match against England, getting to don the colours for the first time was, you know, without a doubt the, the greatest privilege that I got.
0: You made your debut with uh Weinant
1: Olafia, is that right? The the center? Oh no so I didn't make my debut with Weinant so my oh, myself and Vina oh I don't we open up Vayner. I cannot I was, believe you got it. I know this one. well it's just oh. it's
0: because it's because I s I spotted his number on your phone. I know he's a good character because yeah. I remember him at no, the so,
1: Warriors. So before you call before you call Vainut so yeah myself right. and Vaynert we sort of grew up playing and junior rugby together or against each other and then we had got to play in an s21 tournament together in 2004 b- before i became a springbok and then you know a year and a half later we got to start representing south africa together which was pretty cool and yeah we were roommates for a very long time oh so i really hope that those oh, room skeletons roommates. Uh, oh, yeah. oh that's double oh. bonus
0: oh let's get let's get vinan on oh. shall we <laughs> because to get a roommate is a, is a real treat so let's ring up vinan and um i just want roommate stories i don't care about rugby anymore I just want to know what you're like in there. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Vinan. Hello, it's Craig Doyle here on The Contact Book. I have Brian Abana on the line with me. How you doing? You well? Hello, Craig.
6: Hello, Brian. How's it going?
0: I'm good, mate. Yeah, I'm very, very good. I'm very good. How's retirement suiting you?
6: It's different, especially at different times. So obviously not what I expected, but uh, life's been pretty good, so I can't really complain. Good to be back in sunny South Africa. It
0: must feel like many years ago that yourself and and Brian got together and and, and started your your Springbok careers together, does it?
6: It does, actually. I think Brian was a year before me, so he was a little bit settled by the time I started in 2006, but it does feel like many moons ago. What
0: was he like as a roommate?
6: Brian was always the good guy. He's always trying to, to put me on the straight and narrow. I think I was probably the one that uh, started to persuade him to do a little bit, like I said, off the straight and narrow. He was always a good example for me, not that I always followed it, but yeah, he's been... uh (laughs) I would say, a brother from another mother.
0: Now, I've been around rugby long enough, know to know that when you're roommates, you've got stories on the other guy. And I realize some of them aren't suitable, but you got to have one gem you can share with us here today.
6: Not really. I, I think we, like I said, Brian, we were always on the straight and narrow, like all rugby players. We, we worked hard, played rugby, and that's it, <laughs> <huh>? watch movies. <laughs>
1: no, actually, I actually think there's one. We were sitting in Brisbane in 2006, and um, for some other reason... Wainan sort of was on his laptop and I was decided to take an afternoon siesta and I felt my phone ring and this is weird, put the phone down, I thought I got another half an hour before the bus came for training and then <laughs> we literally were extremely innocent, we were really innocent and then to saw this number again and was, as it was one of our management sort of get, I got the answer like, and Lee, what's, what's wrong? She goes, where are you and Vayner? And I'm like, well, we're in our room. She goes, well, the bus left half an hour ago. (laughs) I promise you. Under Jake White's tutelage. (laughs) It was the longest, like, 25-minute trip to the training field. And we were really, we hadn't done anything wrong. And that was probably the start of the calamity. That weekend, we lost 49-0 against Australia in Brisbane. And you can just imagine the repercussions of me and Vaynan. And we literally, we were as innocent as ever. And that is the, you know, God's honest truth. But it was the longest 25 minutes. I don't know how much myself and Vayner cursed for for that 25-minute taxi drive. It was very... The most horrendous feeling. And I'm like, Vaynant why didn't you wake us up? He's like, no dude, we slept another 20 minutes.
6: <laughs> um, but yeah, probably not the, the best memory for your first international game but uh, a memorable one though
0: a quick word of the 2007 Rugby World Cup final. of course you were part of that squad as well and and the significance of that for both of you
6: it was a great experience to be part of that squad and everything I don't think everyone always gets opportunity there's a lot of people that play international rugby but um, to be part of that side and obviously winning the World Cup was a massive and a, and a great experience and the experience with one of my best mates my roommate for so long I think it was just you know, again a very memorable experience
1: to be able to do it with someone who, you know, you, you became really close with, you know, had a lot of good times with, you know, on the training field, on the golf courses, at nightclubs, where we're not going to delve into at the moment. But um, yeah, it was was pretty special. And, you know, seeing the celebrations when we got back to South Africa in 2007, yeah, it was, was all worthwhile. Oh,
0: good stuff. Vida, thanks so much for joining us. Sounds like you're on the golf course as well. Take care of yourself. Good talking to you. All the best. <laughs> Cheers, my Thanks, Vida. What,
6: what a life.
1: What a life they're all having, all your buddies. You're working. Everyone's out Jesus playing golf. Jesus. I mean, front <laughs> of my laptop like catching up on all my email admins just, I'm, I'm definitely in the long r- wrong line of work the spin <laughs> things might not work out for me craig Doyle.
0: so brian you were part of one of the uh, I, i'm almost going to call it a rugby project because toulon the top 14 and certainly the european campaigns just an outstanding story of this rugby club right down uh, on the coast in in the south of france even owner who's just plowing money into it it's like he's opening up rugby world magazine and picking his favorite players and it is a team full of stars, literally, you know, a Galacticos of rugby stars. And you were part of it. What was it like down there?
1: Well, firstly, I mean, we, we went over for the love of the game, Craig. And, you know, I saw this money you're, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> ninth, uh, the, the ninth no, highest player in
0: world rugby you were. That's uh, according to Wikipedia, the ninth. <laughs> how much? How much? I'm trying to think. Oh, not, the ninth. I think no, the I eight like above you were be. also in Toulon. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it was phenomenal. I think, you know, I was sort of at a point in my career where I'd had nine years of super rugby, you know, sort of wanted a different challenge, you know, really felt I needed something different to be able to be in a space where come the 2015 World Cup, I could be a part of something, you know, special and chatting to Bernard Laporte at the end of 2012 in, in London in a, in a very dodgy hotel, hearing his thoughts about, you know, what he was going to be achieving as a coach over that while. But just, you know, getting to you know, getting to be a part of a team with the caliber of the player, to the likes of Johnny Wilkinson, you know, Drew Mitchell, Matt Gitau, reunited with Bucky Sporta and John Smith, Carl Heyman, Ali Williams, the Armitage brothers, the list is just, you know, insane. Matthew Basterall. No, it was an insane time. And getting to witness and experience the work ethic, the way that these guys who had become legends in their own individual right were not at a club for you know what was happening you know come month end when you know you got your salary but literally to try win trophies you know people calling them mercenaries but going on to achieve greatness and knowing that you sort of played your part in that in that journey you know i was only there for you know for the last two years of, the, of winning the triple for europe but you know, seeing where that team had come and built up to winning the double in my first season to winning europe for three years consecutively was such an insane experience
0: it's such a crazy place to go and watch rugby as well. I used to love going down there. And of course, having won the Heineken Cup, you had all that credibility. Crazy, crazy, to s-
1: crazy place to even be a rugby player. I mean, the likes of a Bernard Laporte and a Murad Bujalal. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty interesting. Not your normal rugby administrators.
0: Because Murad Bujalal, the owner of the club, basically made his fortune in comic books, right? But he he didn't play rugby, but he still used to come into the dressing room and stuff, right?
1: Yes, he used to. And like Sometimes you'd actually think, is this reality? and you know, he become extremely passionate about this team that he'd not cultivated to be getting like, the dominance that they had and um yeah he, the antics i mean there were times where he came to the change room and throwing chairs and swearing and cussing and like it i mean there were times where you'd lost the game and he, he'd left at halftime because he was just so embarrassed by what we put on and you know then you'd seen in the newspaper something he'd said about the team and then you'd have no where did that all come from yeah interesting character to say the least but no one can take away the role he played in the success that Toulon achieved you know he had to put up his own money into the club for a very long time you know to get the likes initially of Atana Umar and George Rieke and Andrew Mertens Victor Mattfield the Sun- yet very young Sunnyball Williams to then develop it into a side that you know went on to you know conquer Europe you know for three years in a row.
0: So Brian look I think we need a little deeper dive into what life was like in Toulon now you're saved a little bit because Matt Gitto was one of your teammates there as well the- Brilliant, Macchiato, but he lives in Australia, so time difference means we can't get him on live. So he's not going to uncover any of your secrets. But oh, he did goodness, send a wee message that uncovers well. He uncovers some of the secrets about life in the uh, in, Toulon. In, in Toulon and how trees, it all yeah. looked great. Well, it all looked good from the outside, but when you look a bit deeper, according to Makito not quite the same. Have a listen to this.
7: I think a lot of the money was put into contracts and not so much into the program. Our medical team were in caravans. The gym it was old, rusty. For the gym, myself and Drew Mitchell had to go to IKEA to buy some mirrors. We put them up inside the gym so that we just had a space where we could see our form when we were lifting to help yourself with rehab or or any of those type of things. So it was really strange, eight hour bus trips before an afternoon game the next day. So it was just like a strange kind of environment, but for whatever reason, we came together and and were successful during that period. Probably because we had Johnny who was very serious. (laughs) (laughs) it was very serious
0: king johnny you're not allowed ever say anything bad about king johnny none of us knew any of that stuff brian i mean you looked like the biggest star-studded team in the world full of cash but actually operating like a, a fourth or fifth division club team at times
1: i have no idea until this day how we achieved what we did if you potentially saw what was happening you know in in the gym in the medical physio room so guys like drew and matt who are probably of the game's most incredible characters. They played insanely hard off the field um, <laughs> but the, the work ethic that someone like Kitsa had was, you know, was phenomenal. He literally, he bought a mirror and we ripped him to shreds when he bought that mirror at Ikea, you know, thinking that he was just trying to show off and, you know, the, he's you know, his leanest but he literally did it so that he was making sure that his form was right and that he was constantly improving himself. He also gave Johnny a mini uphill battle. I'll never forget the one night they had this thing where they'd invite Johnny to dinner every other week or like once a month, and Johnny Wilkinson, the Sir Sir Johnny and Drew and gets pitched up at this restaurant in full black tie, like literally full black tie and Johnny like arrives in his training track and, and you know, and sneakers and absolutely feels like the world needs to be swallowed in. And that was just true. That was just true. And gets, they were phenomenal. I think mean, in team value, Drew Mitchell just, you know, going flat out at a Bernard Laporte when, you know, Bernard would, would, crap us out. But yeah, we had some, some really good characters and, you know, those two uh, were probably on top of the pile.
0: And that would destroy Johnny because he would have thought he got it wrong and he would have blamed himself and it would have turned into a massive crisis. (laughs) Oh
1: my word. Well, he would have gone, probably gone training and and kicking like for another three hours the next day.
0: (laughs) Matt also says we should talk to you about something about your time in France, okay? Um, And he said a little challenge. Uh, Let's hear from Matt again, shall we?
7: For me, the best thing uh, about Brian, you know, obviously great football player, very positive, happy bloke. But one thing he can't do is speak French. If you can, please ask him with his Afrikaans, or well not even Afrikaans, his African accent, to speak in French because there'd be times when he was trying, which is really good for the culture, talking to the French boys, and they would look at me and then they just said, please, Brian, in English, so they could understand. So he, uh, that would be the one thing that, that uh, Brian isn't, uh, uh, isn't great at. But I love that he would uh. always have a crack at it. <laughs>
0: S'il vous plaît, Brian, s'il euh, vous plaît, français.
7: Mais en, en ce moment,
1: parce qu'après les, les cinq ans, j'étais à Toulon. Euh, mon français, il peut faire de mieux en mieux parce que les deux derniers ans, je prends un corps avec un professeur à Toulon. C'est comme ça. Je suis pas le même à, à Gates parce que Drew, il est pro- prend le corps pour pour cinq ans à Toulon. Euh, il est beaucoup mieux que, que moi. Mais en ce moment, je pense euh, on, peut, on peut faire le même niveau so it was
0: whoa it was exactly hang on that's yeah, beautiful no, what's no, he talking
1: about yeah, no, no no it is now beautiful but so you know when you think you're good at something and you like just go flat out and you like yeah, i've done it well and it was exactly like and i i would feel like the biggest sit in the room and i'd like really give this go i mean, i thought i'd have it and then i'd give it a go and like all the french guys would literally look at git or johnny and say what is he trying to say is he speaking from glance or what like we're not understanding this dialect is it like arabic so i really, i gave it a crack and it didn't yeah so the first three years i was horrible and git was actually amazing And I, I talk about his you know playing extremely hard and being one of the characters but he was honestly one of the most diligent blokes i'd ever met and he he sort of portrays this you know always fun always you know not worrying about anything but he like had lessons like twice a week at a stage, you know, with a full on professor. So he was obviously, he became really good. And yeah, I, in the last two years after Gits had left, you know, I actually then started taking a few French courses, uh, lessons and, you know, with a professor as well. Um, still not at his level. But at the moment, I'm not doing too badly.
0: Well, that sounded pretty good. But, fr- you know, <laughs> speaking French is easier when you consume a case of red every week. So that's probably why I has <laughs> got, got it right. Uh, um, It's been so lovely talking about your rugby career and meeting some of the people that are, have been so important in your life all the way through. And I, I want to finish up on a part of your life, your current life, that means not just so much to you, but to all the people you help. And th- and that's your foundation. T- tell me about your foundation. What's it all about? What do you, What do you do?
1: Yeah, Craig, I think you know, being you know, being given the opportunity or afforded the opportunity to be blessed with the talent to do something you love, you know, perform at you know at the highest level and potentially get a platform to give back and inspire and, and make a difference. And you know, there were moments in my life, not just my career, you know. I think back to ninety five and how that inspired me to take up the game of rugby, you know, two thousand and seven, you know, winning the rugby world cup and coming back and being on the other side of the coin and you know, seeing black youngsters in the rural townships and, you know, in the Eastern Cape running barefoot behind the, the bus with the trophy just to get a glimpse of the heroes, get a glimpse of hope, and trying to use that platform and thinking how I could do it after the World Cup. sort of felt that I wanted to start my own foundation, uh, potentially leave a legacy, given, get given that platform, to try use it appropriately, and hopefully through the Brian Urbana Foundation, you know, impacting lives, not only across South Africa, but, but hopefully globally
0: well you know something we've spoken to people in your foundation and and they just speak so highly of you and your passion for it all but we we spoke to a very special young lady by the name of maddie ford now maddie's 21 she joined team habana in the uk at age 17 and she has benefited hugely from brian and i'm delighted to say maddie can join us now maddie how are you
8: hi craig and brian how are you Maddie,
0: tell us your story, Maddie, and and what stage you're at in life and and what kind of help you needed and how Brian helped you.
8: Yeah, definitely. So I was on a youth leadership program with Brian's foundation. And at the time, I was quite anxious and I was lacking in confidence and direction with where I wanted to go in life. I was 18 years old and I didn't have many career opportunities but through the program I got to do some mentoring sessions and leadership workshops with Brian and it was actually my first experience ever of playing rugby and Brian was not on my team unfortunately so I didn't do very well (laughs) on the game but through the workshop and the mentoring that I received afterwards it really helped me to change my life and now I actually work to give other young people the same opportunities so I'm the women and girls program manager at a charity called the Change Foundation but honestly if it wasn't for Team Habana which was the name of the program I'm not sure I would be where I am right now and doing what I'm doing so I'm so thankful for like the impact that Brian has made in my life. And I'm so happy that we still get to stay in contact even all these years later. He invites us to events and we stay in contact and keep catching up around the foundation. So thank you so much, Brian.
1: Oh man, that's um yeah, just seeing this young girl who was, you know, extremely shy, extremely timid. You know, it's just seeing her now flourish and making a difference in, in young people's lives and you know, it's great to let her come in and tell her story and you know how she's now gone on to you know to achieve greater things and yeah you know, like i say she she was one of the first initial cohort and um, so someone i'm extremely proud of well you sound
0: like you're proud of each other maddie thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us you know something maddie you should play rugby against him now because he's been locked down for a few months he's put on about 15k he's as slow <laughs> as a tortoise
1: <laughs> yeah she probably will beat me mad <laughs> take
0: care maddie
8: <laughs> Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much
0: all the best maddie so good for you to join us thank you so much and good luck with everything you achieve in your life oh what a lovely person brian what a lovely way to finish this
1: yeah this has been you know this has been really cool craig and i wasn't sure what's going to happen at, at the start of the school but you know getting taken down memory lane and i mean some of those people i haven't spoken to in ages. you know Vayner's you know, back in south africa but i haven't chatted to you know chatted to him in a while maddie i haven't seen for we were in the Isle of Man together last year for a, you know, foundation thing that we did there in September. Um, is is pretty special. So, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure the contact was gonna turn out this way, but it has been been pretty epic.
0: I'm really glad you enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed delving deep with you into your past and uh, a little glimpse of the future as well, Brian. As always, great talking to you. Take care of yourself, and we'll catch up soon. All the best.
1: Thanks. Great. Keep safe. Look after yourself.
0: Well, that really was another fascinating dive into someone's contact book. Brian Habana, what an absolute gentleman and a sporting hero. No doubt about it. I hope you enjoyed the listen. Please do subscribe to the contact book and join us again when we have another guest where we'll delve into their past through their contacts. You have been listening to the contact book. It is made by Three Rock Productions for Audi and it was produced by Keith Doyle. Good talking to you. Take care and bye-bye.